Hey there, you're listening to the Water and Music Podcast. My name is Sherry Hu, and I'm a freelance writer focused on how technology is transforming music and culture. In this podcast, we unpack the fine print behind big ideas at the intersection of music and tech, featuring a curated slate of young innovators, leaders, artists, and thinkers from across the music business. The goal is to get you thinking differently about how this business might work, and maybe challenge your assumptions about where it might be going in the future. The guest for today's episode is Sammy Andrews, who's the founder and CEO of Deviate Digital, a digital marketing and creative agency for the music industry. Previously, Sammy served as head of digital at Cooking Vinyl and as a director at Entertainment Intelligence. She's also done a lot of marketing and consulting work for artists like Annie Lennox and Robin, as well as for a wide range of independent and major labels. Sammy also writes a regular column in the publication Music Week, and in this episode, we dive into some of the themes that she brings up in a recent column that goes into the really stubborn data silos that still exist among different sectors in the music industry. In her mind, streaming services, record labels, publishers, concert promoters, all of these players who could really benefit and grow from working with each other are still very reluctant to share even the most basic information about audiences and about consumption. And artists and managers are often left in the dust in this landscape because they're trying to figure out a complete picture of how their fan bases are behaving, both on and offline, and how much they're spending, what their preferences are, and not being able to have that picture really does leave artists behind. And I also wanted to talk to Sammy about this piece specifically because The complaint around data silos is one that I've been hearing time and time again, as long as I've been covering the landscape of music and tech. So it's approaching four years now. And so in our conversation, we kind of unpack why we think this issue has been going on for so long and also talk about Sammy's own ideas for really driving change, both in the short and in the long term. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Sammy, thanks so much for joining on this podcast. Oh, you are so very welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, so when I was reading through your Music Week column on this topic about the music industry, different sectors of the industry still being so siloed, Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that hit me just about this issue in general is that it seems to come up every single year, like at every single conference that I've ever been to. Like over the last like three to four years, I've been writing about this space. It seems to be just like a persistent problem. Um, So I'd love to just start off with that and get your perspective more historically, even just in recent history, the last like five, 10 years. Do you think that um, the issue, like when you were writing this column very recently, do you think it's improved over the last like five, 10 years? Or are there some issues that you think are like still pretty stagnant? So, I mean, uh I mean, I've had a frustration, you know. Likewise, I guess with, with a lot of other people for for probably a decade now. But mm-hmm. in terms of moving forward, what we're seeing now, I think, is a whole new generation. You know, people, you know, like me that are working in the industry, going, "Hang on a second, guys. You know, why on earth are we doing it this way?" And for the last couple of years, the answer that you would get to that is is usually because that's how we've always done it. And mm-hmm. I mean, th- there is no more frustrating answer for me to hear in a meeting. So, well, yeah, I mean, sure, you've you've always done it that way, but does that make it right? And I, I think what's happening at the moment is, and I'm g- genuinely sort of excited about it, but frustrated at the same time is 
the, this innovation taking place in various places across the industry. There are new young managers coming in who they they don't know that prehistoric world. I mean, they, they yeah. just, you know, and it, it, it's a it's baffling to them. And um, we, you know, at work, we're kind of privileged. And I mentioned it a little bit in that Music Week article, but I've done so many different things within the industry. And I you know, started in sound production and, and as a promoter, but have come through the digital age and been in digital for nearly 15 years. And it's sort of allowed me to see a lot of different changes but at um at deviate now we work for most of the silos you know we work for in Mm, different capacities mm -hmm. all of these different stakeholders so we're kind of privileged in a way I guess to be able to see it from the stakeholders point of view but also be able to see where those things are, are breaking down and how you know just working together it's not even necessarily working together some of this is absolutely down to collaboration for the greater good Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but you know some of it is just working smarter and and there's mm. you know the I guess the political answers so like I said earlier you know, a lot a lot of the times so, well, you know it's just how we've always done it uh, you know the, the further political arguments to that I mean if, if we just have a you know a, a quick look at some of the silos and again depending what day you catch me on I'll be moaning about all of them if you are a successful artist there's every chance that your manager went out and negotiated potentially different deals with different labels for one album. Um, Mm, And mm -hmm. historically, you may have changed label. If you're on album four, there's every chance that it's not with the same label you were with for album one. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were getting managers coming going, like, you know, oh, God, this is great. You know, uh, let's get all of our streaming data, for instance. Let's get all of our streaming data in one place. And go, yeah, 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 absolutely, cool. Um, and then we go and talk to the distributors because it's them that owns the data, which not a lot of people seem to realise. It's not the label, it's not the artist, it's not the manager, it's the distributor. Mm. Um, so we go to them and go, you know, you know, got all these people want to be able to see all their their data in one place because they've got a couple of other albums, you know, that aren't with you. And I mean, the long and short of that answer is is nearly every door we opened went no. No, you can't mm. have the data. Um, and um, I've heard a million reasons for why. Some of it was genuinely due to sort of tech capabilities because the data would have to be passed out. So it comes out of the streaming service like in a big fire hose mm-hmm, into the mm-hmm. distributors. Um, the services don't want to pass it their side. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of work, I guess, although not enough that I think it should stop people passing it at the distributor side. So just then there in a nutshell a manager and an artist if you have a, a, a recording that's or several recordings several albums across different labels or even one album across different labels without going directly to each DSP you have no chance of seeing your full world in front of you there's not a chance now that's the DSP the labels you know they have uh, let's say they have an email um mailing list that they've collected for an artist over a few years they'll have retargeting data from you know anywhere they're using smart links and and pixels on artist sites Mm -hmm. or or further afield they'll also have access to some sales and and consumption data demographics some rights data um but what we're seeing there and i mean again it's, it's it's just rife across the industry but labels are really protective so well let's say i'm working for one of my live clients and we have a tour and we go to the label and go, hey, this is great. 
we've got a tour happening, you know, can we figure out a custom audience share, um, you know, to be able to target, and those people in, you know, within GDPR have opted in to been targeted specifically about that band or that artist, um, or, you know, can we access all of the retargeting that you've got across all of the different properties? And the answer quite often is no for mm-hmm, a start. Mm-hmm. Now, I would argue in some ways that's stemming an artist's career. I mean, it just seems bonkers to me that one of my biggest issues is the live and recorded side and those silos particularly. Because I would very strongly argue that the more successful a record is, the more tickets you're going to sell. And the more tickets you sell, the more records you're going to sell. And Totally, you know, totally. It's like a, a virtuous cycle in that sense. Yeah. I can say, you know... We, very confidently that some of the bigger labels without naming names won't let a promoter for instance put a pixel on an artist site you know to get retargeting or uh, Mm. some of the big labels are also now charging um, to use the retargeting data which is both a good and a bad thing so what I think has changed significantly over the last few years so for the last say five years when we're working directly with with artists and managers, uh, we've been advising them in their contracts to either include getting uh, access to every bit of data that that label owns or collects on their behalf, mm. or mm-hmm. more often actually asking for ownership of it, which doesn't happen a lot. You know, the, the labels push back on it, but certainly access, you know, or, or shared access, because there's a lot of really blurred lines about who that data belongs to in 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 all of those forms whether it's retargeting email streaming data and it's not often actually the artist that owns it Mm. so you know got that side of it and like I said they can access either you know the consumption data that they can access has to be label specific or DSP specific Um, then you know you've got the ticketing retailers so they have obviously email addresses, uh, payment details, and off the back of that, loads of behavioural stuff and social grading and stuff. Um, but that sits in its in its own silo, you know. I mean, that's that's completely on its own. And then you've got you know the collection societies. They've got some rights data. Again, highly questionable and definitely not something I want to rant on about here. I do rant on mm-hmm. about it often. Um, and then sort of at the end of that, so then we've got the promoters. So, and that's what sort of inspired that that last Music Week article from me, because now the promoter, he, you know, they don't have any access to any of that data that we've just discussed, any of it at all. But what they do do is take a risk on putting a show on. Now, obviously, like, you know, some of them are a surefire deal. They're going to bid on something um, and it's going to work, but fundamentally they do not have ownership of any data unless they own a ticketing company which we know some do or Mm. you know a part of but they're then expected to go out and sell this tour it's it's, literally handing that hot potato you just paid a fortune for this show or this tour and then you're going right okay let's you know figure out all of the best ways to access this now what we're seeing and this is why I was ranting about it really is I know when we work for artists and managers, I know six months, sometimes a year in advance when we're touring. I know where Mm. we're going. I know what we're doing. Um, But as a promoter, they may sometimes find out within a week, within days sometimes. And 
then everything's rushed out, but they haven't got access to all those data sources. Now, my mm. particular gripe with that particular silo, and there are so many silos, but that particular silo is I feel that artists and managers and agents should really be more prepared for this in order to sort of make that wheel turn in a in a much more efficient way that, you know, when they're when they're they're doing a bidding war with promoters, even if it's last minute, that they know for sure that someone, whoever it is, is gonna get that tour. Someone definitely will. And they mm-hmm. you know that they can be at least there ready with everything that would be needed to promote that tour. You know, every bit of information that could help promote that. And there's I I just there's there's such such a disconnect. And then on the flip side on the live store, so now I mentioned this in the article. So we we do loads of, of pre-sales with Spotify. Um mm-hmm. and we we did some of the early ones and we do some now. And I mean they are I mean they're just brilliant. whatever way you want to look at it, they're brilliant. If the the uh click through rates are incredible because they're only going to people that actually genuinely care about this music or this artist. They're they're repeat listeners. Um and if people don't buy then and there, we know that it spreads awareness because we can see the the trickle effect that goes out to the social networks off the back of mm-hmm. those emails being sent. But what the DSPs have now is that ability. And I truly believe that we're just at the very start of something with them. And, you know, I, I think I've, I flagged Spotify in that article because uh, they particularly, I feel, are doing more than most in that space. And I think they're doing it for loads of mm-hmm. reasons, partly because they have to, they're a standalone music company. And I, I don't think that, you know, and any DSP would ever willingly give away some data, but what I do think they want to do, and and it's in their interest to, is to help those relationships. And if fans feel like they're getting something from the platforms, I, I think it's appalling, really, that the majority of services that you could name don't offer any of these things. Mm. You know, and that's, I think that that's in itself is a silo, and the, the data points. The data points that the services have are vast. And again, you know, speaking as someone that, you know, drew out dashboards based on, on DSP data endpoints, I mean, they they have all kinds of things that could be tapped into. And I think, and I, I actually suspect we'll see it. I suspect very soon we're going to see some of the DSPs offering ways to contact those fans off platform. I think that they're they're getting wise to the fact that that data is really valuable, um, and you know, being able to offer communication with those people, you know, whether it is custom audiences in whatever social network, but I think that's coming. Uh, but it'll you know, it'd still be siloed to a, a, a DSP, but at least it would help in connect, you know, joining some of those dots. At the moment, all the advertising op- opportunities are very much directly to whatever platform you're on, if if it has a freemium mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the next step, you know, for for a lot of these places because you know the premium, the premium subscribers, but in some ways, arguably, might be the people that will actually want to, you know even more to buy a ticket you know they've already signed up for a subscription they're clearly into music and there's um some great research a couple of years ago from a guy called mark mulligan at media um research he, he really dug into kind of the value of a super fan mm-hmm. and i i don't think that the dsps have got anywhere near 
you know, being able to really um, nurture and monetize those relationships. Hmm. Yeah, and going to your point that um, you made in this piece you made earlier just now about um, music distribution platforms having a lot of the data, I think they more than DSPs are already building these kind of self-serve ad tools for artists. So yeah, like I sure. think CD Baby, yeah, they have like a tool called AdRev that they've been um and show.co, I think, both under yeah. like the same pair of company. Yeah, that they've been like pushing a lot. And I think may- maybe those distributors are better positioned to do that because they're aggregating information from dozens of different services together. Cause yeah. I- I'd imagine, yeah, like and- one singular deal. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, just yeah. I mean, the- I think the I reckon some DSPs will do it directly just to increase their ad revenue, their offering. But I think mm-hmm. the, I mean, all pretty much every distributor right now is scrabbling for it. There's also like some new, new companies to the market that are doing really interesting things. This company called what's it called Beat Chain, um, who I mm-hmm, think is working mm-hmm. on something really interesting in in that space. Um, but yeah, I just think that there isn't, and but that when you pull it back like that, that gets tied to a distributor. So, and it, and that's all, all good and well, but let's say, let's say, I don't know, you're out of cycle and you're, you want to promote a tour or you want to do some heavy merch or, you know, we work with people that do museum exhibitions, you know, musicians that do museums or it, it could mm. be anything. I just, I question, I guess, I, I think for self-serve, for for the kind of artists that run those those level of platforms, I think that it makes absolute sense to have that kind of toolkit, and I'm almost baffled that no one integrated it sooner. You know, mm. it's kind of it just makes it makes sense. But I think for the you know for your larger managers and an artist and with, that have a team around them, they the but they don't necessarily want to be tied to one specific distributor because they might be using three or you know Mm -hmm. tied into Mm -hmm. a label this goes back to almost that autonomy and I I think really that's the missing link for me in all all of this is ultimately if if our artists aren't successful none of us have jobs and I I kind Mm -hmm. of like to remind people of that occasionally when they're you know doing detrimental things widely but right there's so many things that we could put in the hands of our managers and the hands of our artists to help them help every piece of this puzzle. You know, it's if I don't, know, I just think there's a lot to be said for the autonomy of it because it it might not be a release they're promoting, and that you know, that, do you know what I mean? Am I making any sense? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So you're saying it would make like yeah, would it make as much sense for them to align with just one distribution platform? Well, I, th- I think there's yeah. um, Imogen Imogen heaps. I mean, I know, and not getting into blockchain specifically, but Imogen Heap's Mycelia project. Now, her, the ethos of, of what she was trying to do with that is is where I think some of this has to go ultimately, and it, that's allowing the artist to be fully in control, no matter who they have deals mm, with, yeah, no matter where their music is distributed, like allowing the the artist some say over the data, you know, over their rights, over, and I think in you know some ways that that has to be almost in the analytical sense as well, that everything can be fed in. 
and I, you can see that at the moment the, the industry is changing without a shadow of a doubt the you know the power players are changing and you know some people are nervous about it you know you've got publishers are quite nervous at the moment you've certainly got uh, collection societies are nervous at the moment there's innovation is kind of sweeping up underneath them and it's mm. you know they have to be able to move with this in order to make this work and you know there's the DSPs also are making quite big plays in a way that I think could be deemed threatening perhaps to some of the the labels and the distributors mm-hmm. so and and as all of that goes forward and I think that's one of the things the big things for me is like there is nothing certain here and I think one of the safest bets in the certainty to protect our artists is to have them you know that their data and all of that just moves with them and they go okay mm-hmm. right I've got a tour yes you know promoter of course you can access it Oh, I've got a record. Yeah, label, of course, you know, come over, access it. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of that feeding it out as opposed to having to scrabble around and try and access it from other people. Exactly. And like having um, even, yeah, even just financially uh, a coherent picture at all times or as, as often as possible of just everything that is happening with your business, which I guess, yeah, like the, the closest company that maybe has that information already um, are artist management companies. But um, yeah, even that for independent artists, I feel like is so difficult to put together. But, but that's, I think that's the thing at the moment is kind of, you know, a lot of the, a lot, and I, I mean, God, I've met so many startups over the last, you know, five years and some of them have fallen down the wayside because, not because their concept wasn't great. And they, they had, a lot of them had solutions to a lot of the things we're talking about. They just they couldn't get the backing because the industry wouldn't embrace them, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I I really feel now like that's that's changing a little bit. And you still got th- these silos. I think you know, rightly or wrongly, some of them will never go away. They just it, they'll always be to some degree siloed. But I I would very much question who will be in charge of those silos, and what you know whether some of these people will even be here. You know, if in five or ten years time. You know, in the in the, mm. the rate in which the industry could change if people don't move with it. But I think the thing, you know, the, ultimately the the thing that will be here in five or ten years' time are the songs and you know, hopefully mm. the artists. So I don't know. I just feel like as an industry, we we really we lose sight of all of that sometimes. And in, increasingly, as tech solutions come in, you know, our, our industry on the whole is so quick uh, and across every sector to go, nope, don't want to look at it. I've, you know, I don't recognize mm-hmm, it. I don't mm-hmm. want to look at it. And you have to almost goad people into like, come on, you know, this <laughs> this is actually really, really good for you. And it's, I mean, trying to move some of the, the, the pre-existing sort of beer moths in this industry is, it's a difficult job, you know, for, for sure. But mm. I, I don't know, I can just really sense some of the things changing. Like that, that particular article, I got a huge reaction from that from both promoters and managers, you know, going sort of, we get it. Yeah, well, you know, and managers going, yep, you know, hands up, we get it. And promoters going, you know, why don't we have anything? You know? mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. well, I, I have friends in finance and retail and, and fashion, and they look at the music industry and they think we're crazy. Totally. Like, you know? Especially from like a advertising audience perspective, absolutely. Yeah. Is, we're we're almost we're just in our own little world, and I think that, you know, creatively, I mean, music it's um, music in itself is such an incredible thing, 
and you know maybe it does require handling differently it certainly requires different handling to say games or or film but again that almost goes back to the relationship aside from like one hit you know wonders on the radio or one hit wonders in playlists for an artist to have longevity that still has to have you know some form of communication and relationship with that fan base so mm. and I think that that gets lost a little bit now maybe everyone's so busy you know trying to get the streams up that might last you know a couple of months or something they go oh hang on we, ha- we haven't actually thought down the line where we want to go 10 years and the the best managers I work with are thinking that you know they are going they're not going all right well we'll do this for you know a year they're going right where do I want to be in 10 years where do I want to be in 15 years and you know although that's probably an impossible thing to answer Mm -hmm. those are the ones I feel that will succeed in this and and a lot of that Mm -hmm. goes back to and they're the the same people that are, are arguing for data access and and been able to almost guide their own team you know the, the other part of this is there's a, you know, I know I always say it on panels and stuff, but there are a lot of old boys in this game, you know, that have been around for a very long time. And I think part of what a lot of people are trying to do at the moment is actually educate the people around them. Because you might have an amazing team, you know, you might have an amazing agent, an amazing promoter, but they just haven't grasped what we are now. Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what I mean? It's, there's a, there's an educational piece still to be done and I think that changes as, as the generations come up I think that changes even more so speaking of that so yeah you were just giving an example of like promoters going to labels asking for access to data around like the audience around a particular artist for retargeting purposes and that kind of having a lot of friction are there any other types of data specifically that come to mind for you that that maybe companies are very reluctant to share you know for the reasons yeah. that we've been talking mm-hmm. about yeah like for fear of intel kind of being given away yeah like losing competitive advantage i tried to start a global independent uh playlist brand i don't know if you remember any of this or not in sort mm-hmm. of all the independence labels in the world being able to have a brand that's sort of the equivalent of a major label whatever you know whatever it was digster uh, filter those sort mm. of things mm-hmm. and I mean we got pretty far down the road with it like you know we we had every major oh, that's probably the wrong word major independent um around a table and they all agreed they needed it um and uh, you know that it would benefit the whole independent community um and then when we looked into the data fees they just weren't willing to share data feeds <laughs> with each other oh okay yeah, and, so, and again, more, I guess more going down to a, a tech solution, but and it's like, well, hang on, even that is it's sales data fundamentally is what it would have been. It's like, but mm-hmm. on one hand, you chase the charts where sales data is visible, but mm-hmm. you know, right? Some... Like, I feel like this is something that yeah, everyone is at least like doing back of the napkin kind of calculation on anyway. And I guess I mean, where do you want to start? I mean, even like you know the PR the PROs and the collection societies are so protective. I, it makes me want to cry sometimes. <laughs> and and you know the result of their protection means that some of our artists aren't being paid. I mean that's mm, and that, mm-hmm. that really annoys me. <laughs> so there's just I, I you know and get, going to the the DSPs. Obviously, there's no way they're ever gonna you know give their user base out. So I think that's one silo that we accept will always mm-hmm. be there but we know for sure that there's you know identifiers within those feeds that could potentially be used for 
for wider things. And what what is happening now as well is that you know the majors are working on some a load of tools in house. At least two of them I know of um, that do actually do some really smart data matching from different sources mm-hmm. um, to be able to try and identify you know diehard fans, I guess, across multiple multiple platforms. Um, but again, that's sort of locked in with a major. So if you're an independent artist, unless you've got one of the big tech companies behind you, you're kind of only as good as their tools at the moment. Mm, mm-hmm. And then then, then mm-hmm. that goes back to, well, hang on, if you haven't got that data feed, but you're still, you kind of, you're really limited from the off. There's no industry standard right now. You know, there's, yeah. and I, I mean, one of the things that really shocked me when I had a, you know, the, the data companies, you know, we went and met all the majors and, you know, certainly some of them came out with very similar products shortly after we met them. But mm-hmm. the some of the tech in house was awful, you know. I mean, I mean, genuinely archaic. It, it looked like it had come out of like nineteen ninety something, mm-hmm. and it, uh, we, we have that thing at the moment. I think that's maybe a minefield for managers and artists. Is you know that should be something that they're almost looking at now when you're si- signing a deal. If you're signing a mm. deal, you know, I think there's a lot of, of reasons to be independent, but actually looking under the hood a bit at what what tools have you got access to and how easily do they integrate with the other tools that you need access to? Speaking of that, and this also ties back to how um, streaming services like Spotify are going more into the ticketing space and live event space. Yeah. Um, this is a trend that another writer, Tim Ingham from Music Business Worldwide has written about of more and more music companies essentially all morphing into the same thing. So yeah. Uh, yeah, like you have streaming services doing live, you have managers launching labels, you have distributors like Ditto um, going into management, you have brands launching labels, labels doing brand work. So like all of these yeah. different um, different areas are now converging under the same company. And I feel like maybe one reason for that is because of this frustration around not being able to own, let alone seeing and analyze um, data from all these different places. I, I think um, I genuinely, I, I genuinely, genuinely think it, that is a part of it. I mean, I, some of it's outright survival, I think, as well as you know. Sure, sure. But yeah. but I think again, though, because then it goes back to a silo and and having to be, you know, as a manager, especially guiding that artist career you know, having to check out all the competition and go like, well, and then go, well, does it make sense for me to put all those eggs in that basket? You mm-hmm. know, and I think that's been, you know, perhaps some of the conversations over the years, even with, you know, some of those early Live Nation deals or, you know, some of the big uh, major label 360s. Like, I mean, we work now with, with artists that entered into 360 deals and they could not be more angry at themselves about it. Mm-hmm. Um you know that all of them without exception wish that they hadn't um mm. and some of them have spent a lot of time and money and and legal fees trying to get out of them so i think there's a, a word of caution you know on that side of it as well about going maybe all in anywhere but i think the 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 actual solution side of it i mean i want to see more people off, offering this you know if if the more successful the services are, the, the in theory, the more successful our music is as well, you know. And it's sort of I, it worries me when we see loads of people just jumping on one service, perhaps in arguably sometimes incorrectly, um, 
but it been able to work with them and grow with them. And I think some, if we talk specifically about the DSPs, I think some are far more approachable than others and some want to innovate. Some are working actually quite closely with managers and artists going, right, what can we do here? You know, mm. and, and labels as well. I mean, arguably, I think some labels are, are fighting to prove that they still need to exist. You know, mm-hmm. we, that whole model is completely, I mean, it's just changed beyond recognition in, in so many ways. And I, I know I'd argue that there's still absolutely a place for a good label with a good label team. But, you know, they have to be able to bring a lot more to the table now. They just do. And, you know, the rise in label services is, is testament to how that's, you know, how that's going in, in that mm. way, really. Mm. Um, and also speaking of labels, uh, recently, just in the last like couple of weeks alone, but also over the years as well, there's there's been a lot of controversy around this concept of bundling which Mm. i guess if you break it down it is essentially combining multiple otherwise disparate data sources into one i guess in this case for the purpose of maximizing chart placement but just from the last few weeks there was the dj khaled versus tower the creator fiasco and like khaled uh threatening to sue billboard for not reaching number one yes and (laughs) (laughs) and then from um Actually, almost exactly two years ago at this point, I think at the time it was one of the most high-profile verified fan campaigns from Ticketmaster with Taylor Swift. And just like the mechanics of that also involved a lot of bundling. It wasn't really for charts. I guess it was for like fans to chart to maximize their chances of getting a pre-sale ticket. Yeah, I I think there was a couple of questionable things in that one particularly. But so bundling, I mean, we, I mean, as an industry, we've been doing bundles you know at least for a decade deliberately with an idea predominantly like you say to chart stuff um the data side of it is great it's the same reason we often do pre-sales directly with fans um so that we can any way that we can claw email addresses again if if we're working for artists i guess or, or labels um but it depends what the stakeholder is but in order to you know any way of extracting that data is great now i think for sure, bundling is still good for artists. It's without a doubt, shadow of a doubt, charted some things that we've worked on. They work. And I think the difference in a bundle specifically as to what the Taylor Swift thing was, the fan first thing, that, I mean, that to me felt a bit like, you know, putting a gun to their heads. It's like, you, you want to go? Then you mm. need to do this. <laughs> and I, there is a real difference there. So we we actually occasionally argue with with some of our clients on it when we feel like, we've completely rinsed a fan base you know if a bundle then everyone's like just push the bundle push the bundle mm-hmm. and you go, well yeah we've we've actually pushed the bundle quite a lot and maybe we should you know do something else for a little bit and uh, the big thing for me because they, they have their places it has to I think be um an optional thing and I think the the but the people that those bundles appeal to widely are you know are the diehard fans as a, as a general rule and they're the people that would probably buy anything well, I personally I think bundles are great I hope they last soon if it's not in you know I don't even know anyone with a cd player anymore so I don't know mm-hmm. who's buying all these cds that, mm-hmm, that are mm-hmm. bundled but you know we can see it with vinyl we can see it with merch um I, I just you know there's a I think there's a definitely a place for it just the last kind of summarizing question before going on to the next segment but there's some parts of the solution to 
all these silos stubbornly existing in the music industry that can maybe be addressed with a product, right? So like building mm -hmm. a tool that aggregates all these different data sources, gives yeah. you a complete picture, et cetera. But there are things like, like you were talking about promoters being at the end of the food chain, despite, you know, taking out all the risk. like that is not a product issue. That is a, a human behavior issue, or that is like an organizational issue. And maybe, maybe like a product can help to solve that, but that definitely doesn't paint like the whole picture. No. So, yeah. And so do you, like, as, as you're thinking about potential solutions to this, do you see like the product versus changing wider organizational practices? Like, do you see those working in tandem or do you think like one has to come before the other? Like you mentioned the importance of I guess education in the long term as well. Yeah, I I I do think sort of almost hand in hand. I think specifically that the the issue with promoters getting everything late, which I mentioned in that article, that is managers and agents need to sort their shit out. Is what that is. <laughs> you know, it's that's to do with a, a very greedy bidding process, and you know that that process should still exist, but it should at least be rooted in some common sense in how you have mm -hmm. to sell a product and what we're ultimately talking about is selling a product when you're selling a ticket and some of the practices right now and the, the procedures around that process are beyond bonkers and um, mm -hmm. I think in, in that article I sort of cited you know do you think Nike or, or Adidas or someone would just you know turn up to their marketing team the night before a global launch and go here you know make this work and they, they wouldn't you know, this, <laughs> we, yeah. this 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 the level of planning like that requires exactly the same amount of time and effort that it would be to put a record or do you know it's, it requires mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that thought and I think for I don't know I feel like I'm li living in some like you know utopian dream where it's just like mm -hmm. an artist can rock up or a manager can rock up and go yep I own all of that plug in and you know they can access a, a suite of things that gives them everything they need to know and I, mm. I think we're such a long long way off that Honestly, for now, I just it almost embarrasses me sometimes when when I'm talking to people from completely different industries, but it also excites me in another way because I think there has never been a better time for someone or, or multiple people to come in and go, here is a solution. You know, and you you must get that. I mean, I get pitched like maybe thirty for sure, startups for sure. a week. So yeah. I know, you know, I mean, that's you know, without being around the bush, some of them are rubbish. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, and some of them yeah. I've seen, or like million... some of them, some of them you've like seen five years ago, yeah, um, trying yeah. to do the same exact thing, not being very cognizant of like the problems or the challenges. Yeah, yeah, the, sure. exactly that. But every now and again, and this is this is what excites me, and you know, uh, kind of. But one of the reasons that I started my own company was to be able to, you know, work with people like that and go, all right, you mm -hmm. that's that's an excellent idea and I don't need anyone's approval to try it and mm -hmm. at, at the moment there's a couple of people you know that come through and you go actually this is great what it needs those industry wide adoption and that's where mm -hmm. it falls down I think you know I mean even things like this like you know I know a lot of people that, that read your newsletter and, and you know listen to your podcast and I think that educating people to to just what's possible almost you know mm -hmm. and, and looking looking outside of our industry sometime and that's what one of the the biggest things I think is being able to look at other industries and go wow okay yeah. 
Like, what, why are we not doing that? And I don't feel like the music industry does enough of that. <laughs> totally. So, like, with, with that, like, Nike or Adidas analogy, um, I love that because it's, like, yeah, it's treating every, like, item or every line that you put out as, like, a legitimate brand. And I think because of these silos among record labels, publishers, promoters, services, etc., um, there isn't this concept of, like, the artist as as a coherent brand yeah it, it is exactly that which goes almost back to me wanting you know managers and artists to actually go hang on hang on i mm-hmm. am the commodity here yes you know, right. uh, wh- why on earth am i you know jumping through these hoops and and i think that will have to come at, at some point i i really do and i think mm-hmm. and i you see some you know lo- you know um, bigger artists perhaps more powerful artists uh, are making some waves in controlling their own career nearly every artist I know is also you know buying back their rights and and there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment it's taken us 10 years 10 years to make some money and I right yeah and now you know now and everyone's just I don't know when this is going up but like everyone's just reported all their earnings and people are earning money you know Mm -hmm. across the board people are earning and I think now that we're on that kind of as an industry now that we're on that up now is a really good time actually to sit down and go okay this is great but how do you know how do we implement those things all of these new emerging markets you know coming online you know Mm -hmm. maybe not repeating some of the mistakes that we've made you know with with really long-term existing markets and you know I can't have read something today about um the indie uh, week in New York, you know about uh, mm. Brazil being a huge territory now for a lot of people, and you know we see that across our data sets with just some of these places that are coming online now. There are new places on this map to explore in every way that an artist would want to, whether that's merchandise, touring, or or just releasing music. And in order for those to be, you know, operating at their full potential, I just I think it does need to. It needs a bit of a shakedown, and a, you know a bit of a rethink. Awesome. So just in the interest of time, uh, I'd love to dive into the overrated, underrated section, and I'd love for you to start. There's a story last week. uh, Netflix has released a Stranger Things game. Now, Netflix going into gaming on a a basic level may seem like nothing, but that's actually quite a, a, you know, a big deal. It makes sense. They own the content, you know, that Mm -hmm. they would, they would put something else out to, to drive revenue. But at the same time, we have Facebook now going pretty heavy on on trying to make original content, upping their video offerings. We've got Spotify going hard on spoken word and podcasts. These big players are all extending, you know, their reach into entirely different worlds. And I, I mean, I think we're only just really scratching the surface on on what the potential is there. But on the flip side of that, you know, got giants like Amazon had, did have a go at ticketing. I mean, and it was, I don't think it's any secret that it was a complete fuck up. I mean, they they closed it really quick. There are lessons to be learned there. I mean, from my perspective, I think a lot of the Amazon ticketing issues were because they just hadn't got a clue how ticketing worked for a start. Totally. And, and also it was all about prime and it, you know, is, Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily to do with, Oh, let's, you know, fill this stadium full of, you know, kids that love this band. It was like, well, 
sign up to Prime and maybe you can go and see this, you know. But but they did some quite big ticketing things. And I, I think that would, when I was talking earlier almost about the, you know, the DSPs going into ticketing, I would almost say not for them to actually ticket themselves, but work with existing partners and take a commission because there are new others yeah. around it. All of those big players within this space fascinate me. And I think that we're really are just on the on the cusp of what could happen. But I think that the music industry would do really well to find ways to work with this and, you know, to explore, aside from just everyone wanting to do a podcast, you know, be, to be looking creatively at ways to partner with, with that. And this, again, going back to, I guess, ownership as opposed to data, but most of those things can be done out of label deals. So, you know, any spoken word we deliver for an artist, the artist owns, not the label, because, they, you know, they own the recordings. And aside from the rights for films, so all the documentaries that we're making, you know, all of those sit with management and obviously things need licensing and stuff. But do you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of potential there. And I know the thing that you want to talk about as well, and I mean, that almost ties into this, that you've got, the biggest organizations in our industry have always been up on a pedestal and I just don't necessarily feel that they're the same people that are going to be on a pedestal soon and I think mm, the, the industry sure. finding yeah. finding ways to work across all these formats and you know and really fully integrate with all of these the potentials I guess it's roots to market in different ways you know I mean we, we, we work with even mm. like young artists that are you know they're already making a documentary you know they're not for sure like or yeah i know of a ton of artists who are even if it's not like on netflix or amazon like they're already making yeah. their own tour tour vlogs you know posting them on youtube like that is already an integral part of the process yeah and and the, the i mean content you know but even just beyond that like i think so many different pieces of content are required now for a campaign i mean we certainly see yes. it. We, mm-hmm. we do both organic and paid campaigns and um i mean even just trying to explain to people the different formats we require and and what works where but I, I think all you know all of these big companies extending their reach should be a part of that now for for the industry going okay well rather than just going okay like we'll do radio interviews we'll do some press like you know it's is fully looking across you know across that what's available what's coming up you know, can we integrate a game to this? You know, people have had mm-hmm. huge success with, with games, and that's incredibly lucrative. That you know, loads of musicians have have dipped their toe in, whether it's being in it or making one. And I think, I don't know. I just think there's loads of potential for it, and especially the thing that you're about to talk about next. I think almost ties into that because I think some of these giants are about yeah. to be even even mightier than we could could have imagined a few years ago, maybe. For sure. And just one last point, yeah, that I want to add on to everything you said um, before talking about the piece of news item in mind is, well, okay, very quickly, just two things. So one, there's an example from film that I thought of when you were talking about like Amazon going into ticketing mainly to drive like prime subscriptions mm-hmm. um, because Netflix, I think they have a, a reputation for handing over huge checks to directors and producers and screenwriters and like virtually no data and so like the reason why someone would want to you know um, create a new original film or tv show for netflix is um for the money and for the audience even if you're not getting that much information about the audience and one of the breakout films of last year crazy rich asians i think got a netflix offer 
And in interviews, John Chu, the director, talked about how he ultimately decided to just go the traditional, you know, brick and mortar movie theater release route and it ended up breaking a ton of records, like especially in the rom-com space, let alone like in the, the world of film in general. And so yeah. I think that'll also be, I feel like with, yeah, like with streaming exclusive, that conversation that conversation is already happening in the music world. Yet given that so many of these tech companies are ex- expanding into content and have, you know, the spare cash to do it, I think now there's still a lot of stigma around like quote unquote signing to a tech company. Like I don't think yeah. it's really happened yet or like partnering with a tech company, but as they throw more money into this, like that will be inevitable and like I think the stigma around it Will hopefully decline. You know, what I've been quite outspoken about not agreeing with um, exclusives, specifically with DSPs, but in in music, and it's very different the content, and that's what I think we're we're starting to see now. And I mean, you, you can actually already see it with Apple in in quite a big way, and Amazon actually in in a different way. But instead of locking your album, I believe that an album should be available anywhere that anyone wants to hear it you know it's not mm-hmm, up to you mm-hmm. to dictate to your fans what platform they like that's not your choice but what mm-hmm. you can do absolutely is provide a wealth of content that sits I- exclusively in different platforms with different partners mm-hmm. and I think I, I don't necessarily think that artists would ever flock to sign to a DSP I think you know the direct deals are, are one thing for distribution in, but I think we we wouldn't really see that. And I think even you know the bloody tidal nonsense is. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I just don't think that that sort of side of it works. But all of those long form things and those those opportunities now. Even let's talk about you know just quickly. I know sorry, I'm ranting on. Yeah, the advertising no side. So one of the things that I find really interesting about the advertising side, really, like we spent millions on on advertising, digital advertising. Now I've been around in this industry long enough to remember when you know digital ads used to be you know literally nothing. We were one of the first people at, when we were nineteen to place ads on MySpace, and and they weren't even trackable. You know, they were just they popped as a little banner up at the at the top, and they. Mm. Now, for the same budget that you could have done, you know, a one-hit TV ad with, we can spread that across, I mean, all manner of VOD stuff, you know, or mm-hmm. online, and hit some really, you know, hit the same audience. The cons- consumption habits for content, especially like the long-form video, have changed so much. Like Most people are now watching on catch-up. I don't know many people, you know, my age or younger that watch anything live TV. Yeah. You know, and what that has opened up is a whole wealth of advertising opportunities. So for the, where, whereas you used to need, say, you know, whatever. If you, if you run a TV campaign, campaign for an album, you might be going, you know, up to like 100 grand or something. Like right now, with the the minimums have been lowered across all of these platforms for advertising, you can have more. I would argue more impact than you know placing a TV ad to the wrong people by placing yeah, right. a, the perfect ad for for next to no money. I mean, it's obviously obviously there's still money, but all of these the giants that we're talking about offering these content opportunities. What comes with those content opportunities? And I'm sure that's why Facebook are doing it. You know. Mm-hmm. there's there's potential for advertising there and I think that's one of the parts of the the industry from from my perspective anyways that's one of my the, one of the verticals in my business is 
paid advertising. And we are finding, I mean, you know, maybe two or three really great new advertising options a week. And that's that's quite a rate, you know, of yeah. new formats to be coming out. So and for, for artists, going back to the idea of having a platform, you know, if there was an easy platform that did deliver, you know, in the UK, it'd be into, you know, Sky, ITV, Channel 4. Um, but there's, there's processes required behind that. But they're not out of reach budget-wise. They are not out of reach of independent artists. And I don't think many independent artists have realized that yet. So speaking of artists and their relationships with platforms and how that's going to change financially so the piece of news that I have in mind is around this recent announcement that Spotify is one of several tech companies that's supporting Facebook's new cryptocurrency yeah uh, called Libra I believe and Mm -hmm. this piece of news uh, to me has some aspects that are underrated and other aspects that I think are overrated so one I I feel like cryptocurrency in general is like kind of it's kind of the opposite of underrated right now. Like everyone's yeah. kind of, you know, investing more in it, thinking more about it. Um, and for sure the ability to enable faster and cheaper payments around the world, um, that's definitely not to be overlooked. And the fact that Facebook has access to over 2 billion people essentially, mm-hmm. or 2 billion users, it can launch this currency for those users. Like that, that is super powerful. Yeah. And the more, Maybe negative, uh, potentially negative side of that is so the, Spotify and Facebook have had a really interesting relationship over mm. the years because I think they used to be much more, integrated. much more integrated and like much more publicly integrated in that like you know your Spotify listening activity would be published on your newsfeed or would like kind yeah. of show up in the chat box. Um, like I very clearly remember that from like six seven years ago, and that all kind of went away, and now. If Spotify really, you know, goes in deep with this cryptocurrency that that makes the integration kind of tighter than ever, even if not socially, just like on a financial level. And obviously, Facebook is not in the best place right now with respect to like PR or privacy concerns, where Spotify would kind of be rolled into that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm someone that invested early in cryptocurrencies. In fact, I think the first time we met, I might have been talking about blockchain somewhere. But oh, really? They're, yeah. they're fa- the way that they're going about this at the moment one of the most interesting things that Daniel X said in I think he was at uh, Cannes uh, Lions in a statement was to do with being able to uh, have a payment facility in especially like sort of emerging markets I guess now so outside of music one of the things that we do a lot of is uh, activism and philanthropy like we work with a lot of our big artists and brands on um on activism campaigns and charity campaigns and one of the ones that we've been doing the longest really is I've, I've worked with Annie Lennox for over a decade on on HIV and AIDS and women's rights issues mm-hmm. and when he said that, that I mean, one of the things that really struck me even I mean it must have been 10 years ago now we were trying to find a way to um make it easier for people to send money in sub-Saharan Africa and at the time uh, no one um, you know in some of the areas that we were working in had anything like a computer but Mm. they all had a phone all of them Mm. and we've seen that you know that progression especially um, I'm speaking from an activism side rather than a a music industry side the progression for currency-based stuff I mean some of these people don't have houses but they have 
a mobile yeah. phone, yeah. you know, and, and it, it struck a chord to me. I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he, he did allude to a little bit of that, you know, some people don't have bank accounts and they don't, you know, they really, they they don't. And I think some of those, it's not just Spotify, that the list of people that I saw, the company supporting that, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense to me just on that level, aside from any other level. Like, I mean, I've got all manner of bloody cryptocurrency. Um, and it, it depending what day it is, just, you know, depending. How, <laughs> I'm going to have to stop checking, quite frankly. But this, for me, in for those, for companies like Spotify, I think it will bring more people into that platform in a way that he's talking about. I think mm. the places where, you know, whether it's a strictly cash currency, or you know people are very wary of banks there are many many places in this world that we always forget you know in the west we we forget that not everyone has access to everything that we do here and and now that a lot of the world is online digitally you know and like as i think i said at the the top of this now that data is available even if it's not you know plugged in wi-fi it's just you know 4g or or even 3 or 2g Mm -hmm. in some places this makes a lot of sense to me is on a on that level and on a mm. on a partnership level because they all of the services that are integrated there are seeing those peaks they're seeing people coming online in those countries so do, am I making any sense for yeah oh absolutely yeah and <laughs> no yeah I totally agree like yeah increasing access just financially yeah I know that this is in part why Spotify's done integrations with a lot of like local telcos because a lot of the way that even like billing works there yeah it's like not tied to bank accounts and uh, that's been like a challenge that I guess they've had to navigate um, certain markets especially yeah in like in Asia and Africa. It's interesting though with the Facebook things Visa I saw and a load of other the you know the financial institutions have gone in as well and obviously cryptocurrency Mm. comes with its own issues like China have been quite quick to go no you know mm, and I, I I'm sure it's going to face all of that but I, I again it's all it's that, that generational thing in the same way that I'm saying it, a whole generation of people would you know don't watch live tv there's a load of kids I know who just would, wouldn't think about you know ever stepping foot in a bank you know they just it's right, like it's right. like a library to them you know they're just like what why mm. why would you have ever gone to a library you know yeah I, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out and I don't know if it'll I don't know what, what do you th- what do you think about how how, how, how yeah how it'll play out with the cryptocurrency yeah I mean when it launches if it launches next year it'll be I think it'll be one of the biggest rollouts in terms of like mainstream brand association because a lot of the launches that I'd seen like previously just like the user experience wasn't there and it was like super difficult to access um or to buy um these cryptocurrencies I'm thinking so in the context of music so one thing um that I actually think is overrated in terms of what some people in music have been saying in reaction to this is that um Spotify will ultimately use some kind of cryptocurrency mechanism to pay artists so like I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that's a whole other issue that, speaking of data silos, like requires getting multiple yeah. rights holders holders on board to execute. And I think, like yeah, like oh, yeah. I, I don't think DSPs yeah. are really the best position to to solve that. Um, 
Yeah. No, but they're not. But but they. I mean, they are. They are all. I mean, some of it's absolutely lip service, but they, they are all in some ways looking into blockchain. Yes. You know, I've been an advocate advocate for blockchain for a very long time. Some things I agree, it's just pointless for, and it almost overcomplicates things. And some of them, it it relies so heavily on things like uh, a database and to put for so many things to be in mm-hmm. place. But I mean, I I would argue that long term, I think that's probably in terms of payments, I think that's probably where a lot of that is for going. sure at, at and, large and, for sure yeah 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 and but that's that's the thing I think that interests me most about the Facebook thing is it will be the first time you know when people you hear people talk about Bitcoin or you know they they're either like oh Bitcoin or it's like, oh, yeah Bitcoin, <laughs> you know it, it's the first. This will be the first real public experiment exactly, yes. of all, you know, all ages and all, and that that fascinates me. But I think you know you're right in the the brand association. It was an interesting one for them to come out with. It'd be, I think, it'd be really interesting, for, you know, further to that to see whether they whether Spotify specifically deep dive any further into any blockchain stuff. But yeah, let's, let's not hold up there. Yeah. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Cool. So, yeah, I just I guess to conclude, I don't know if there's anything that you'd want to share in terms of things you're working on right now with Deviate or just any other last thoughts on anything we talked about. Yeah, so I mean one of the I think the big things at, at Deviate and again, you know, why I started my own company was we are so eager, you know, to be working with all of these sectors and, and we're fortunate enough that we do. But I think what kind of separates what we're trying to do or certainly what I want the company to be is that we are looking to at what's coming in the future as opposed to hanging on to what's been in the right. past but I mean certainly you know le- learning from it but our, our roster at the moment is such an incredibly varied set of, of you know whether labels artists managers promoters some DSPs and it's I kind of like us sitting in that place because although I know you know I know I do publicly rant a lot, mm-hmm. you know it's always coming from a good place with me. You know I I want to see our industry driven forward, and um, I I just I really hope that more like-minded people sort of come on board. I, I think certainly art, the artists that we're working with are, you know, that the more and more, especially those that have been around a little while now, just going, oh my god, it could be different. Yeah. yeah. And and that's that's what excites me. And again, you know, I've absolutely loved your newsletter and your your podcast. And I think I or I hope that a lot of people sort of listen to the stuff that you're doing and maybe get a different perspective on how it could be. And you know, there are some great great publications out. But I think you know, and most of the books that you could, I do quite a lot of lecturing in in universities around mm-hmm. the world. And it worries me that the books that the they're showing their students were written in the early 2000s yes, or even in the 90s or yeah, yeah 80s occasionally yeah yeah and you know I often start my lectures with you know burn your books <laughs> is, is usually the opening line which which doesn't go down very well but I hope that more people plug into you know stuff like this mm. and yeah well done with it Shirley. yeah thank you so much and thank you again for coming on it's super interesting you're very welcome
Thank you so much for listening to episode nine of the Water and Music podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, a follow on Spotify, and or any other kind of engagement on the podcast listening platform of your choice. If you're interested in following more of these kinds of conversations and trends about music and tech in text form, I highly recommend you subscribe to my email newsletter. It shares the same name as this podcast, Water and Music, and comes out every other Thursday at around 12 p.m. Eastern Time. You can sign up by visiting the short URL bit.ly slash water and music. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash water and music, all spelled out and all in lowercase. Thank you so much again for listening, and thanks again to Sammy for the amazing conversation. Until next time.